Help us to fear nothing but the loss of you, O Lord. Amen. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom then shall I be afraid? We certainly had a lot of rich passages of scripture read this morning, but it was that line from Psalm 27 that I've been drawn to all week. Whom shall we fear? Now, there are two ways for us to hear that question, and it depends on how we define fear. One way of hearing fear is as something frightful, terrifying, or scary. Goodness knows we live in a world of fear. Just thinking through all the things that we might be afraid of causes our blood pressure to spike. We fear what people would think of us if they knew more about us. We fear our feelings of inadequacy. We fear heights, spiders, and public speaking. We fear scarcity in all kinds of ways, not having enough or any friends, not having enough money, not having enough time. We fear rejection. We fear that our lives are not adding up to very much. We fear being wrong. We fear being reminded of past traumas and hurts. We fear that our faith is full of doubts. We fear those who are unlike us. We fear for our family's well-being and safety. We fear what the doctor wants to talk to us about. We fear being abandoned or forgotten. We fear not being in control. We fear having a difficult conversation with a boss, spouse, or friend. We fear that one day our past will finally catch up to us or that the future will not look the way that we've always hoped that it will. We fear economic uncertainty and the climate crisis. We fear death. I'm sure I've left out a couple of things. <coughs> what do you fear? One author has written, hatred is often the compensation by which a frightened person reimburses themselves for the miseries of fear. The more we fear, the more we will hate. And this is the problem with fear. When fear is at the center of our thoughts, when fear motivates our actions and inactions, when fear dominates the way we see ourselves and others, then we become captive to our fears, no longer able to embrace the grace of God that's all around us. And so we turn to hatred, not necessarily because any of us wants to be a hateful person, but we all need an escape valve for all of that fear. And anger is one of the easiest ways to release the pressure of that anxiety. If we need an example of the hatred that follows when we succumb to fear, just read the comments section of nearly any website or consider what politicians say on social media. It's all fear-driven. In an article published earlier this month about online rage, one journalist put it this way, and yet we're angry all the time. Angry because of thwarted ambition and the sense that we were meant for more. Often our fear gets directed at people. We blame and scapegoat them for our problems. We resent a spouse or a child for holding our career back, 
We're vitriolic towards those who have a bumper sticker of the other candidate on their car. We're stingy in our giving because our fears about money have led money to have control over us. Now the thing about fear is that it is a liar and a thief. Fear robs us of seeing ourselves and others as the beloved children of God. Fear steals the blessings of God and it turns them into commodities that we fight over. Fear turns us against one another and ourselves. Nearly all of the human-made problems in this world are rooted in fear. Our fears cause us to avoid authentic and honest relationships with others. Our fears cause us to live by less than the truth. Our fears cause us to be suspicious of others. Our fears cause us to withhold instead of giving. Our fears lead us to hatred instead of love. Fear closes us off to that peace of God that passes all understanding. And so fear would have us live our lives by selfishness and doubt. But as Jesus says in John, he came that we might have life and have it abundantly in him. But those other false shepherds, such as fear, they are thieves, liars, and bandits who seek to kill and destroy. And that is exactly what fear does. Now, as we know from one of the books in the New Testament, perfect love casts out fear. In thinking about our good shepherd, Jesus, who laid down his life for us, we come to the other way of understanding fear. Not, to, not as something that scares us, turns us inward, or corrupts us, but this sort of fear is something that astonishes and inspires us. Now, the phrase is not used as often as it used to be, but we've all likely heard of being God-fearing. This does not mean that we're supposed to be afraid of God, but rather in awe of God. This other way of understanding fear is about having a sense of reverence, being overwhelmed by something that is so much bigger and lovelier than we are. Now, in a sense, there is some fright involved with this, but it comes in a positive way instead of a negative way. Have you ever had your breath taken away by nature? Perhaps you look up at the vast expanse of space and you just feel so small. Or you see an amazing formation of a mountain range or a stunning sunset over the ocean. Maybe you've been swept up by the beauty of a symphony, painting, or liturgy. Maybe it was in holding a child that you are reminded of just how fleeting and precious life is. Not in a dreadful way, but in a way that reminds you of what truly matters. It's that sort of fear that we see in the reading from Matthew this morning. There was something about Jesus that led those fishermen to become fishers of men after they encountered Jesus. Perhaps they had a godly fear when they came face to face with the lover of their souls. Perhaps they perceived in him, this is the truth of the universe in the flesh. Whatever it was, they dropped those nets and followed him. And we know the rest of their story. They followed him around Israel. They followed him to Jerusalem. Some even followed him to their death. That's a different kind of fear. A fear that makes us no longer afraid of death. 
no longer obsessed with our reputation, no longer scared to take the risk of loving or allowing ourselves to be loved. This godly fear is about trust and reverence for God. Can we trust God to provide, or do we insist that we are the ones in charge of our lives? When we have to make a hard decision, do we pray through it and seek the wisdom and guidance of the Spirit? When we are struggling, do we turn to distractions or substances? Or do we let the Lord be our strength, our light, and our salvation, as Psalm 27 puts it? Do we strive first for the kingdom of God, or does God get the leftovers of our time and our money? As Jesus said, God loves us in a way that we could never fully understand, and God wants to bless us with all of the things that we need. And these things are given to us when we go with the grain of God's love. But if we are living out of frightful fear instead of holy fear, then we end up with so much less than what God intends for us. So perhaps you want to be less afraid, more faithful. We hear that question, whom then shall I fear? And we want to say, I don't want to fear my fears anymore. I want to fear God. So how do we go about doing that? Well, Psalm 27 gives us the help we need. The psalmist writes, one thing have I asked of the Lord, one thing I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the fair beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. In other words, it's a prayer for intentional worship. This sense of godly fear, this trust in God is strengthened and nourished by habits of faith, by seeking to behold the beauty of God and to be in God's holy presence because it is so hard to be moved by the current of the river when we don't actually get into the water. We are surrounded by our fears. Those fears, they are in our conversations, in those thoughts that we have throughout the day and in the news. And so if we are going to live not by those fears, but the fear of God, then we have to put ourselves into places where we are open to the movement of God in our world and in our lives. And those places are called churches and spiritual disciplines. What some of you all need more than anything right now is to walk our prayer labyrinth at the corner of Jackson and Council once a week. Others need to spend time reading scripture daily. Some will be nourished by having some quiet time and contemplative prayer. It could be that coming to morning prayer at 8 a.m. or evening prayer at 5.30 p.m. in our chapel once or twice a week is what will nourish your faith and banish your fears. It might be that Sunday worship needs to be an absolute anchor in your week for God's voice to become louder than all of those other voices of anxiety, stress, and fear. Maybe developing a rule of life is what it will take. Now in this sermon, I cannot give each of you the exact prescription for how you cannot be afraid of all these things and instead stand in the fearful awe and reverence of God, but it would be my joy and privilege to sit down with each of you and talk to you more about this as we pray 
And I'm serious about this. My email address and phone number, they're in the bulletin or on the website. Reach out to me and we will find a time to talk so that we can more concretely work through this and I can help you seek the beauty of the Lord as we strive to be warmed by the radiance of God's presence. Because more than anything is true, God loves you and wants you to know this love with every fiber of your being. Though the holiness of God can be overwhelming and frightening to those of us who are so small and finite, God's love is stronger and better than all of those things that we are afraid of. And in drawing nearer to Jesus, we come and see this love that makes all the difference. So let's talk about how we can let this love of God sweep through our lives. You all know that I'm fairly serious about fitness, and I have a coach right now who I meet with weekly. Now sure, he does help me with some questions about technique and answering, well, should I be doing five sets of four or four sets of five and that kind of stuff. But he's also really helpful in getting to the deeper questions that undergird it all. And that's what Psalm 27 is about, that deepest question about what we fear. A question that the coach posed a couple of weeks ago, I've been chewing on ever since then. What he asked was, who sets your standards? Now, it can be any kind of standard. The amount of money that you want to have in savings or retirement, the number of inches on your waistline, the college that you hope to get into one day, the way that you hope you will be remembered in an obituary. Who sets your standards? In other words, who gives you the rules that you live by? Is it something that a third grade teacher said and you're still rebelling against it? Is it something a friend said decades ago and it's still the measuring stick for your life, for good or for ill? Does that rejection at a high school dance still sting to the point that it is the reason why you do what you do today? Are you still seeking the approval of an impossible to please parent? Do social media influencers and advertisers determine what you have accepted as normal and successful? Now, to be clear, there is absolutely nothing wrong with having standards, but we ought to be very careful and protective about who sets them. Do we live by our fears, which do nothing but drive us to hatred, selfishness, and anxiety? Or do we live in the awe and the trust that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by the God who loves us so much as to live and die and rise again?